This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the unequivocal Simon Belanger. Today, we have a great show for you. It's episode 251. We're now over the hump. We had a celebratory episode 250 last week, so make sure you tune into that. Uh, today, you are going to talk about this dividend income portfolio that you've been tracking on our portfolio page at jointci.com. I'm going to come out with some curated, flaming, spicy, hot takes on uh, investing in personal finance. You're going to look at RESPs, and then we're going to do stocks on our radar, stocks on our watch list presented by our beautiful friends at EQ Bank. You want to kick us off? Yeah, so I wanted to do a quick update on the uh, dividend income portfolio. I'm going to do that quarterly for our Patreon subscriber at jointci.com. Um, I'll still go over the names here because that's one thing we've committed to do. We don't want to, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we still provide, you know, the same kind of content to the podcast. The only thing I won't do is it's there's much more details for our Patreon um, subscribers, but I'll still go through the names here. And then if you want more details, by all means, you can go and support it on jointci.com. So this is all equal weighted, 5% each, 20 in total positions. Uh, some of them are duplicate position just because their cash and cash equivalents was just easier and cleaner to do it that way. The total yield that I was able to achieve was 4.05%. The target here is always to do 4% plus. Uh, and it's probably actually a bit higher right now because the markets have been... Uh, I think they're down like 2% today, so I'm assuming most of the names are are probably yielding a little more. So a lot of the names are the same ones. I made a couple of changes here. So uh, Brookfield Renewable Partners, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, Digital Realty Trust, Granite REIT, Canadian National Rail, Canadian National Resources, Texas Instrument, Allied Property REIT is actually one of the new names, so I changed that with uh, Realty Income that was there before. The main reason here was that Allied does have higher yield than Realty Income, and it's something that you know I'm personally bullish on Allied in the next five years or so. Could be a rough couple of year or two, but I thought it was a good a good play here for a dividend income portfolio, and they have a pretty. A pretty conservative uh, payout ratio when you look at funds from operations or adjusted from from operation. Next name here is Home Depot, Royal Bank. After that, Telus, Johnson and Johnson, Pepsi, TD Bank, Fortis as uh, another utility, a bit like Brookfield Renewable, which is a uh, is pretty much a utility. And then I have the Evolve. U.S. high interest saving funds, so 5% twice in there because it's yielding 4.93% for USD. And then I have two one-year GICs and a two-year GIC. So the reason um, I remove actually a three-year GIC here is the three-year GIC rates have actually gone down and it made more sense to have a bit more in terms of the short term. What's, what happens with that, though, is you're actually... 
you know, you're it's not a bet per se, but if you lock in a rate over three years, you're essentially betting that, okay, I'm getting 4%, whatever it is for three years, while I'm betting that rates will probably go down below that so I can lock in that rate. Whereas if you have more of a short-term higher rates is you're kind of giving yourself a bit more flexibility, but if rates do go down, you'll be impacted by that a bit more. So I have a bit more to add here. Did you have anything to add on that? No, thanks for touching on like the one and two year fixed incomes are the same rate, which is going to turn heads until you think about that logically. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. And 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 the reason for uh, the two year versus the one year is you want the security at that 5%. I think that that's fine. One thing I want to comment here is like, maybe you're new to the show or you're just tuning in. Um, JoinDCI.com is the, the Patreon page and you and I disclose our actual real money portfolios, which look very, very different than this. And this is strictly a dividend income portfolio that we've just put on the side because we know that we have so many listeners kind of in that retirement zone range. One thing that I see so often, there's apps now that you can kind of see other people's portfolios, you know, and share it. And it's kind of like, you know, investing has become so social and all this stuff. I see 24-year-old guys with this portfolio and I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Like, like, why are you just buying dividend payers, high yielders, low growth uh, at the age of 26? Like, you know, um, so I think that that context is important. It has a place, these these income portfolios. They're fine. Um, but I, I wanted to add that color. Yeah, no, and that's great. And I think, you know, I love dividends as much as the next person. But oftentimes, you know, the names, some of the names I own, like do pay dividends, but they're much smaller, but they grow their dividends quite quickly over time. But the goal here you're was not only buying div pay. No, exactly. Like so important part. I have other types of business as well. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, the two year GIC is actually under 5%. So it, it is, uh, it's a bit under, um, it's just a waiting. I think you were looking at the wrong column so that oh. that's why but that's okay it's still under five percent <laughs> wow it's, Braden! like try to make a cool point have the wrong data. but it's still nice. above the three year um i think yeah. it's the three year is just around four percent so that's why i went there now a few other points here the goal here is to have the dividend portfolio provide most of the income from dividends. Now, you'll notice the reason why I have 25% in cash or cash equivalent is to provide a cash cushion of at least three years in case of any shortfall in dividends where you're not forced to uh, sell a position. So that's the reason, especially right now, too. I mean, the the, uh, the Evolve U.S. High Interest Savings Fund, I mean, you're getting 4.93% on U.S. SD. Clearly, though, it is not CDIC insured. So keep in mind, um, there's, you know, there's a bit more risk because it's not insured by the federal government, but the deposits are done at uh, some of the largest Canadian banks. So I would say, you know, still pretty safe, but they are considered money market funds here. Now, I was trying, like I mentioned, to get as close to 4% average yield as possible. Stocks that have a sustainable dividend, some dividends growth in the past three to five years, and most of the names have very good dividend growths, but with a higher starting yield, of course, oftentimes dividend growth will be, you know, you're you're essentially getting higher yield in exchange for slower growth in dividends. So you have to keep that in mind, whereas 
if you look at certain names, um, even, you know, Alimentation Cushtal, for example, is a good example there. It's not on the list, but it has a very small dividend, but it grows pretty quickly, typically. Or a TFI, I think, they also grow their dividend pretty quickly. So something to keep in mind, because that's often the trade-off you'll do. So you're trading off a higher yield for slower dividend growth or a smaller yield for higher growth. Now, sustainable free cash flow payout ratio or payout ratio in terms of FFO for REITs or utility type businesses. Um, I did not verify every single payout ratio on the list, but I did so for the vast majority of them and it's sustainable for the industry they're in. The company has some revenue growth is also important. You don't want a company that's kind of plateaued. And for the most part, this is the case here. They will not be growing quickly. Um, just to be clear, for the most part, um, that's one of the other thing. You get that higher yield, the, the top line growth will be s slower. And now just some quick numbers here. For a $500,000 portfolio, it would mean 20250 income per year. 1 million, it would be 40,500. 1.7 million, it would be 68,850. And I use that number because that's the amount that uh, apparently Canadians think they need to retire. We talked about it a couple of episodes back. And 2 million portfolio would bring 81,000 in revenue per year. And I think the last note here, it's just important reminder for people, it's not the only way you'll get income at retirement. So the main advantage of this is that you shouldn't have to touch your capital. So you should mostly rely on dividend. This is great, especially for someone who may want to leave some money, either an inheritance or a spouse that they're nervous about running out of cash, but there are other strategies. So you can have a uh, portfolio that may not be so heavy on dividend and you have an actual decumulation strategy where you actually go down and you, you sell some stocks, you sell some holdings, whether it's funds, whatever it is. And the goal is to you know, not run out of money until you pass away. So it's not the only way. It's one way you can look at it. But it's, uh, you know, it is something to, to look at. It may not be perfect for everyone. Uh, just make sure you kind of figure out what you want to do at retirement and what the actual outcome is that you want to achieve. With this stuff, I say, when in doubt, spreadsheet it out. And I've never said that ever, but I just said it now. And uh, I'm going to run with it. When in doubt, spreadsheet it out when it comes to retirement, decumulation, dividend income, retirement planning. It's not the most exciting thing to do. You know, it's not, hey, I'm pumped this Saturday. I'm going to spreadsheet it out and, and get my finances in order. But it's, it's the right thing to do. And you do not need to be an Excel Google Sheets wizard to put together uh, some basic rows and, and build out a timeline. Um, Using you know maybe a four percent rule or uh, on withdrawals or uh, you know factoring in this dividend income you're talking about, but uh, it it's just got to be done. Like there's no way around it. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And there are some good tools too, right? That are free out yeah. there that will actually, you know, they'll prompt you to put all different kind of inputs. So there, there's a lot of tools if you're willing to. And I definitely would encourage anyone that wants to do it by themselves. You have to put the work in, right? You have to put some time to make a plan because if you don't have a plan, you know, a bunch of outcomes will probably come where, you know, you may not be maximizing your RSPs. You, you're withdrawing on them at the wrong time. You're taking CPP too early or too late. Same thing for old age security if you're eligible. So you have to really draw up a plan before you retire. And that's really important. Not once you're retired, like before, I would say at least two, three years, but probably five year plan before you retire to make sure that you have something pretty solid going forward and some best worst case scenario and a kind of medium case scenario as well. I have a pro tip that works for me. Um, if you... <laughs> pro tip. Pro, pro tip uh, only works for nerds like me. What I do is if I have something like like this, that's not like particularly thrilling, but I got to do it. You know, sometimes in life, you just got to got to sit down and get the work done and do it. And what I do is if it's going to be like on a weekend or like, you know, you don't have time during the week to do something like this. You have your job, you know, kids, life, whatever. If you like coffee or if you're not a coffee drinker, you like tea, Saturday morning, bright and early, go to a cafe, bring a, a nice one, a nice one, one that you're going to spend way too much on that fancy latte and bring your laptop and in two, three hours, you're going to go into deep work and you're going to get that thing that you need to do done. Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And then you, you do it early enough. You have a gr- you actually come out of that with so much energy for your day. You come out of the coffee shop. It's a beautiful day. Th- this is the thing that actually that works for me. I, I don't know if you've ever done anything like this. Try it out if you have something that's been sitting on your to-do list that you need to do like digitally on your computer. Bring your laptop to that fancy cafe this Saturday morning and get it done. Spend the $7 on that stupid latte and, ha- and enjoy yourself. I thought you were going to say, you know, get up, take a flight to Costa Rica, go to a cafe <laughs> in Costa Rica, take a flight back, and then you're done. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, just just hop on an international flight uh, so you can build out this spreadsheet. Uh, no, but I did do that a few times in Costa Rica and then uh, waltz over to the beach. Have a great weekend day. Uh, but sometimes you gotta you gotta do. It's the hard thing about hard things, man. You gotta do, you gotta get stuff done. Let's move on to spicy, flaming hot takes. I had to go to the part of the internet where everyone is angry called Twitter to gather some some hot spicy uh, spice factory takes um, and just see what people had to say. I picked some of them and uh, some of them I kind of even made. Uh, disclaimer here, it's like a drug ad, like you know, at the end of the drug ad. It's like, I may or may not agree with any of these spicy hot flaming takes. Please consult your doctor before sending me an angry email. Of course, there is nuance to this stuff. Um, with that out of the way, let's go through these, Simone. And I'm challenging both of us. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging I to be extremely open-minded and perhaps even less conservative in the way that we think about rules of thumb and conventional financial wisdom. We can because we can be so anchored to rules of thumb. You know, 
what you can expect in the stock market after after inflation, you know, what's a good mix of stocks and bonds, you know, like we can be so anchored to that. Um, and, and, and great investing books and investing legends may have like gospel or rules of thumb, but rules are meant to be broken. So let's just throw our mental parachutes away uh, for this. Uh, number one, once you have over 100,000K liquid in stocks, you don't need an emergency fund. What do you think? <laughs> well, if you like uh, living on it's the edge. It's actually a really good one to start. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, spicy and I, I don't know. Where do, you, where do you want to take this? I mean, as long as you know what you're in for, right? As long as you're like, you're basically, you're running, you're, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I see you frozen right yeah. now, and that means this is a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, look, obviously, you're not in financial ruin if you have 100K. So, you have something to fall back on. Is that liquid. what I, You can y- sell these stocks, yeah. Exactly. Is that, you know, that probably the issue I have with that statement is, you know, it's 100K today. It may be 50K in a year from now, right? Or whatever it is, depending on what the, the market does. But I guess you give yourself the maximum upside, but you also, you know, pro- you increase your downside as well because you may end up having being forced to sell just to cover an emergency, for example. I kind of love it because I'm kind of I'm kind of on board. Even though I would never do this, I'm kind of on board. Uh, you know, once you got a hundred k liquid uh, in stocks, you don't need an emergency fund. I- I'm kind of on board, and I kind of hate it. Uh, yeah, um, so <laughs> it's a good I think, one. <laughs> well, I think it's also different, right? Where you're at in your life. So if you're, you know. You're pretty young, you're single, you have no one else that relies on you, you're just renting, uh, you don't have any much in terms of unexpected expenses that could come up, then I think it's a lot less of a stretch than someone who has a family, owns a home, you know, and all these different things. So I think it's a, it's probably a bit more nuanced, I would say. Yeah, that's they call it personal finance because personal is not g- general finance uh, rules of thumb, uh, and, and you know refer back to uh, the disclaimer at the beginning here. Uh, you know, of course, there's nuance here. Buying rental properties is a waste of time when you can own real estate investment trusts. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think you uh, you can make a case for both there. Um, I think Dan and Nick would uh, would disagree with us, but course, the downside yeah. or upside, I guess, depending how you look at it, is that with rental properties, you can definitely maximize your leverage. But as we've seen, exactly. if you take a variable rate, that can go both ways. Um, but the advantage of REITs is it's truly a passive investment. Um, so that's yeah. the biggest upside. You can also get leverage, right, if you do kind of buy it on margin. Uh, but then again... You know, I think it really, to me, it's just a, it really depends on what you're looking for. Lifestyle. Exactly. Lifestyle. Um, Do you want something that's liquid or not? If you don't care about having it liquid, then obviously rental properties, properties probably makes more sense. Well, may make more sense for you. Um, And if you're someone who's really handy, um, you can probably maximize your abilities that way. Whereas if you're not, I mean, you can still own rental properties, but you're going to have to rely on other people to help you out with the maintenance and things like that. Those are great points. I wholeheartedly agree with all of them. My very simple answer to this one is, do you want a job or not? 
right? Because you can definitely make more wealth with physical properties. You can take advantage of better pricing. You can use your elbow grease. You can use the wonders of leverage. But those all require time and uh, a job. You're giving yourself a job. So that's the question that you have to ask yourself. It's more of a lifestyle question than a financial one, in my opinion. Uh, Early retirement is a scam and bad for your mental health. You know my stance on this. I, I agree. I think I think early retirement is a scam. I, I would love to be just, you know, I kind of already am in a place where, you know, I can just do the things I want to do and have fun with it. I'm already doing it now. But I do think that if I was to just do nothing, I would have I would I wouldn't live as long mental health wise. Uh I'm I'm on board with this one. Yeah, I think again, this is really a personal thing. Um, I think for a lot of people, they would lose like a purpose in life. For other people, you know, they may want to be just traveling. Um, and you know, that's retirement for them, just visiting yeah. the world. You're doing something. I think the most important is, do you have a plan for retirement? Whether it's working part time, whether it's traveling, whatever it is. If you don't, and you're just looking forward to not working anymore. I don't think it's going to work out all that well for you. If your calendar is completely empty, I don't see how you're having a good time at all. I, I really don't. Um, but, you know, if that is you where you can sit on the beach seven days a week, go for it. I think you'll drive yourself nuts. Um, having, I can't, I can't comment really on this one, but I'll, I'll take my, my take. Having kids can supercharge your career. What do you think as a new father? Probably not in the first six months. <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, you're so right. Yeah, yeah maybe it not definitely, you know, you have to put things in perspective, right? Your priorities definitely shift. Um, I don't think it has to necessarily be bad on your career. That's for sure. It can be a plus. It can be an extra motivation to right? Maybe for right. some people, they have a nine to five job that, you know, pays well, they don't really love, they're just kind of growing through the motions, but having their kid kind of gives them that extra motivation. So I, I've heard of those kind of things happening. Um, so I think that's, uh, you know, I can see that. I mean, it's definitely, it's hard for the, the first little while for sure, just because you have to almost learn to be able to work on unpredictable sleep. That's pretty much right. what it is. And, you know, I I like my sleep and that's been the biggest yeah. challenge for me. And you've seen me write some of the podcasts. Hopefully it wasn't too bad at times. But <laughs> I mean, our Sophia, our daughter, like she was up for three hours in the night and it was like the third day in a row. So I was running on about 10 hours of sleep in like three days. So you kind of. Yeah. You know, it's not always the best, but that's Let's why you have to visit this question in five years ish. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think you touched on two pieces that where these people are coming from who suggested it are the motivation piece and being forced to be productive on less time. Yeah. And you know, like that's 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 your superpower of becoming a, a parent, I guess. Yeah. And is, I think is the take. And probably the last thing is just seeing things from a different perspective, too. True. Yeah, um, I can see that. I mean, clearly no experience yet, but uh, hopefully one day. All right, Fed Chair Jay Powell is actually doing a really good job. 
<laughs> oh, man. Who's going is, first? Yeah, go for it. I feel uh, like I've I been go going first. first for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll go first. Um, you know what? I think it's a spicy hot take, and I think that it's a good one because the numbers that are coming out later, it's like you can kind of see like Jay Powell just like sitting in his chair, like, you know, <laughs> who's the who's the billionaire guy in uh, The Simpsons? Is it uh, uh, Burns Montgomery? Yeah, Burns, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's sitting there in his chair. He's just like excellent. Like this is working. Like, you know, um, there is a soft landing potential. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'm gonna give it a maybe. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I think I would. I would say probably a maybe as well. Um, I think he's doing a better job than uh, you know Tiff over here. I'll just say that, um, just because the the ultimate rug puller, Tiff McClem. Yeah, Tiff McClem. I think you know one of the biggest issues I've had with Tiff is just um, just a lack of consistency and just the way he communicates with the markets. Um, you know, Powell's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but he's definitely trying to be a bit more transparent, and I feel like he's. From the interviews I've seen, uh, Tiff McClem sometimes just seems to be like way on the defensive and almost, you know, I almost wish sometimes they that just... job sucks, dude. Yeah, I mean, of I wouldn't want to do it. Of course you're on the defensive. Yeah. It's the worst job ever. Yeah, but I, I wish they kind of took onus a bit more when they, you know, they missed it. Um, yeah, for, you know... With the, That's the int- true. There's never any ownership, ever. Yeah, like, look, we we've... We did not. We overshot the interest rates way too low, and now we have to make up for that. But the reason why, you know, I think they've never, I've never seen, I think I've seen his lieutenant say a bit like, oh, yeah, like we didn't really understand, and now we do a bit more on what happened, you know, during the pandemic. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I wouldn't want to be doing this job. And at the end of the day, they just had limited tools, right? I, they... You know, you can t- say what you want about Tiff McLean or Jerome Powell or Christine Lagarde over in Europe. Um, at the end of the day, they have limited amount of tools. Like, there's nothing really they can do to help supply chains, for example. And that's going to have a big impact on inflation, which is our priority right now. So I think that's something to keep in mind is, you know, sometimes they, you know, they use a hammer, but, you know, it's not a nail that needs to get uh, put in. So I think they just have a, a few Damn, set that of was tools. so good. Yeah. Wow. That was really good, by the way. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> Here on fire. Um, next one. If you haven't maxed out your TFSA, don't even think about using any other account. Oh, God. Oh, what have we done? Oh, yeah. The, the I'll, DMs I'll we're going to get. Yeah. What's no, that? I actually like this one. I like it too. Yeah. I'm 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 on board, but yeah. oh god, I can't wait for no, uh, the comments and we'll get. I think it just comes down to okay, the we've been brought up and everyone I'm sure we'll get some DMs or people uh, tweeting at us saying, "Well, you know, if you're a high earner, what about you, this scenario or that yeah, exactly. scenario." Like if you're a high earner, your taxes will like, you know, you'll you should be deferring your your income by using the RSP and withdrawing at retirement because your income will be lower, you'll pay less taxes. But the problem is, and I people are so de- steadfast on their thoughts about the RSPs, for example, is that the reality is the beauty about the TFSA is there's certainty again attached to it. 
you you're taxed right now you put it in it and you're not taxed anymore the rsp you're making a projection a lot of things can change taxes you know income taxes could be higher because uh the overall canadian debt is higher and at some point you know we're going to have to pay it down um that's a good argument i know someone made it on twitter when we were having a discussion a bit earlier today i mean there could be something that happens where Maybe your income is actually ends up being way higher than you thought at retirement too. Um, there's all different kind of scenarios that could happen that you're just, you're projecting. There's no guarantee you can plan it as best as you can make the most reasonable looking assumptions. But at the end of the day, they don't pan out. And that's why I love the TFSAs because there's certainty right now. And there's a lot of value in that personally. So true. All the things you just said, the certainty, the tax rates in the future. Yeah, it's great to defer your tax now. You're probably going to be, you know, most people, if they're, you know, six figure, high tax bracket, uh, 150K plus earners, that you want to defer some tax. Totally get that. For me, personally, and this is why it's personal finance, not general finance, I am hoping I'm making boatloads of money in retirement. That's the way I'm setting up my life. I got two businesses, I'm going to start many more. I, I'm hoping to, you know, have seven plus, uh, sorry, eight plus figures um, by the time I'm forty. I'm I, literally on track already, and so it having that much money in RSP doesn't make sense. Which rounds out to the last hot takes. I wanted to bring it tangentially in there. The hot take is no one should have more than five hundred k in their RSP. If you do the math, taxation wise. This is true. I think the number I came up with, I was when I when in doubt, spreadsheeted out, was like six hundred ish k in an RSP. That if you do withdrawals, you're basically like uh, net negative on on taxation. Okay. It really. I, so, what assumptions did you use here? There on withdraw. Uh, f- I think I used a four percent withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um. Based on you know how much money that's going to be tax wise on, on income, other income that you might have, and th- I threw it in there, and that's the number that I spat out with that I would never have more than that amount of money intentionally in my RFP. Put it this way: I wouldn't be contributing if it was past six hundred twenty k. Okay. I see people. I see people adding to their RFP. It's worth millions of dollars, and they're and they're still contributing to it. I think that that's a terrible way uh, to be. I think it's terribly tax inefficient. I'd have to crunch the number personally. It's just because you can. There's ways you <laughs> we'll can see actually. You at the coffee shop on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but there's ways you can actually play with it, right? So even if you have a large balance, and I've talked, I've referenced this a little bit before, but you could, you know, if you retire and you're 60 or even a bit earlier, you could actually make sure that you you know, defer CPP, let's say you're, you know, you make too much for old age security and we'll just talk about CPP. You defer it as long as you can and then you just live off your RSPs. So you're actually withdrawing more than that 4% the first, uh, say, 8, 9, 10 years. And then you actually lower that amount as you get further into retirement and you have other sources that income that kick in through CPP and, you know, whether it's old age security or you have, you know, income property, whatever it is. Um, so I don't know. I'd have to look at the numbers i i 
I mean, it seems reasonable. I think you could probably be able to have a decent strategy and have a higher balance than that. But um, I think there's definitely a, a, a certain point where it would become ineffective. Yeah, exactly. There, there is a there is a point, and you can read all about this online. Like, I'm not the first one to kind of come up with this uh, this math, but uh, we'll see you at the coffee shop on Saturday morning. This is a seriously uh, retirement and Canadian focused vehicle show because yeah. you got RESPs, RESPECT. Yeah, you got that on the show here. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And something I've had some people requesting that I look back at these because we did an episode on it, but it probably was a year and a half ago. Um, if I can't even remember when we did it, I think it was the first version of our document. Now, RESPs are registered education savings plans. You'll typically want to open this for one of your children's education. However, it doesn't have to be your child. It could also be uh, like a nephew, a grandchild. So it doesn't have to be your own children. It can be used for a wide range of education, including uh, apprenticeship programs, CEGEPs on uh, the Quebec side, trade school, colleges, universities. There's a full list on the Government of Canada website for the title type of education that is eligible for that. The main things you need to know, and these are not all the details, so make sure you do your research for that. These are just kind of the overview and to give you everyone a general idea how it works. So you don't get a tax credit when you contribute to your child RESP. So it is actually money that's been taxed. As a side note, you could contribute to an RESP, like I said, uh, for a child that's not your own. RESP contributions may be eligible for government grants. The one that is available to everyone in Canada is the Canada Education Savings Grant, also known as CESG. You can cr- contribute a lifetime maximum of $50,000. You can contribute to an RSP for up to 31 years, and the plan can remain open for a maximum of 35 years. Contributions that you made, so the actual contribution that you made can be withdrawn tax-free and are known as post-secondary education withdrawals. Those are just the contribution you did. Now, withdrawal from funds contributed by the government via grants, investment income from your contribution and those grants, or whether it's capital gains, that's the same thing. They count as taxable income for the child when he is she or she is enrolled in a post-secondary program. Since the child will be having low income, there will be either no taxes taken because they have, you know, that tax credit for the first probably 15000 now. I, I can't recall the last time I completed one of those payroll farms, but... Either they're not going to pay a lot of taxes or very little um, on those amount. So, like I said, I've had a few questions here, especially since people know I have a daughter now. Now, what you really want to focus on if you're opening RESG for your child is that the CESG grant that the government of Canada uh, does matches 20% of your contributions up to a total of $500 per year. That means that if you contribute $2,500 per year, you max out the grant. The lifetime maximum of that grant is per child is $7,200, which is equal to a bit more than 14 years of maxing out the matching. 
Now, what my wife and I are doing is pretty simple. We're contributing 208 and 33 per month. Actually, we'll round it up and say $209 per month to our daughter's RESP. The monthly amount, that's a monthly amount that you need to contribute to get the $2,500 for the year and therefore max out the CESG. So we do that consistently every month. We don't have to think about it and we know we're maxing out, maxing out that grant. Now, it's not the only grant that is available, but it's the only one that we are eligible for. There is also the Canada Learning Bond for lower-income families, and some provinces also offer grants of their own. And in terms of investments, I'm keeping it very simple right now and just putting the money in the fund from Vanguard, VEQT. I may add some individual stocks at some point, but I think it's most likely going to be index ETFs. Um, so I may kind of switching up a little bit in terms of that, but that's the approach I'm taking right now and what I'm doing for Sophia's RESP. For a, an account like this, I love that all-in-one, stupidly diversified equity ETF uh, like you've done. I, th- I think I would do the exact same thing because who's who's trying to manage multiple accounts of multiple stocks, <laughs> like all these accounts, like, uh, that's such a set and forget it type account. And I would do the exact same thing that you did. I think it's a good call. Yeah, no, and it's. Uh, I think if people can afford it, it's just a f- great way to save for your child's education. Just slowly maximizing government grants while you're at it, let it compound over time, and then you know, kind of removes the stress of those high kind of cost of tuition um, that you know if your child goes to college or a university. And you know, there's other institutions that uh, educational institution that are eligible that are not as costly, but. It's just nice, like we want her to do what she loves. So it's nice to know that, you know, the, our financial situation won't limit her options. Yeah, well said. I, I like it. It's cool. And uh, there's all these grants. I, I Dude, I just learned a lot. Honestly, I didn't know half of the stuff you just said. So that's <laughs> that's helpful. Thank for, I like legit, that's brand new to me. So uh, thanks for bringing it forward to the listeners. Let's finish the show with Stocks on Our Radar presented by our beautiful friends at EQ Bank, longtime sponsor of the show. And uh, dude, I, like, I love the platform. I'm not just saying that. Like, I have put all of my cash, like emergency fund cash, and cash for tax. I know I'm going to owe the wonderful CRA. And I just throw it all in there and... Uh, you can either GIC it or just own the cat. It's just, it's the best. It's so easy to use. Um, we're both going to go with one as we always do for this segment that we do every other week. I am going off the board here with a stock that was, was on my radar. And um, it's an example of why doing even just the bare minimum of research uh, on a financial data platform like Stratosphere or whatever you're using, and just looking at like the base level fundamentals uh, financially is so important before making any assumptions about the business quality. Because you know, here I was thinking this was a pretty cool opportunity. Probably no one's looking at it. Interesting idea, anecdotal. I understand it. Something that was on my radar. And if you look at the financials, you become quite disturbed. Um, 
<laughs> disturbing is the example. So As stock many not you know, on your radar presented stock, by... <laughs> stock no longer even close to my radar uh, presented by our friends. Now, I'll, I'll go, I'll just step back. I'll explain what the business is. It is called Selena. Uh, it's a Selena Hostels Hotels. It is a, a hospitality business. And it came on my radar because they're all over Central America and they are like the leaders in Costa Rica as well. And what they are is it's, it's basically a collection of hostels and hotels, but it's like, it's not hostels in the way that you think of like, you know, kind of scrappy, like young people traveling in them, you know, dirty, whatever. Like they're actually really nice. And typically in Costa Rica in each location that they have, they have all the major um, places that people visit. They will own like the most important centralized real estate of that entire town or city, like legitimately, uh, you know, on a beach town, like being kind of like the central hub of where people hang out. Like they've done such a good job, like of picking the spots and being like cool. And you don't, it's not just for, you know, drunk 20 year olds uh, on, on spring break going to these hostels. Like they're, they've really solidified like the remote working co-living type thing. Here I am thinking they must be crushing it. They're popular, seemingly well-run. They nickel and dime you everywhere they are, everywhere you are in a kind of clever way. And they've developed this co-living model, co-working for remote workers. Uh, you know, people living digitally nomadic lives and appealing to what I have now coined the iced latte yogis, okay? The iced latte yogis is their bread and butter, uh, it's a very cool concept, and I think that's a pretty nice segment to touch on because they like to spend money. I had no idea they were public until I saw. Lo- I was, you know, I was going through basically the lobby to the beach to go surfing. This is an example of how centralized these locations are. I was walking to the beach, and I'm basically going through their property, and they had a sign in the lobby. It said that they went public via SPAC. Oh, and I, I, it didn't say VS back. Yeah. It said they went okay. public on the NASDAQ. And so I looked it up and I'm like, oh man, this was a SPAC. And it trades under the ticker SLNA for Selena. So it was a SPAC. So for those who are newer to the jargon and acronyms of the investing world, it just means it went public via a special purpose acquisition company SPAC, which is fancy words for saying, a company, a shell company was formed to raise money through an IPO to buy another company. In this case, BOA Acquisition Corp took Selena public. SPACs were very popular ways to go public in 2020 and 2021, and they're always listed at $10 US uh, per share. Many of them have gone on to do anything but spectacular, spectacular. They've done anything but, uh, and Selena is no different. Shares now $2.60 from that initial $10. And revenue grows nicely. Uh, you know, operating so many locations, uh, growing locations, there's over 160 of them. They're now doing over 100 million in revenue. Growth seems to be really nice on this beautiful straight trajectory, but they now currently have less than 10 million in cash. 
That is not a typo. Burning 70 million in operating income per year. Net losses are astounding and their main, uh, main auditor issued a going concern. They actually have negative gross margins up until 2022. Uh, the unit economics are out of control. And no wonder they're trying to nickel and dime their guests for everything because they still cannot make this model work. Yet they're, who cares? Open more locations. It looks like we work um, based on like the co-working model, the locations, the this new dream of a new way to live and, and work. And I think it's cool. I'm all in on this. Like I love the idea of digital nomadic stuff. I basically did it for all of 2023 so far. Now I'm home. But this is an example of watch out for whisper stocks <laughs> and watch out for convincing yourself that this is a good business without looking at the financials. And sure as hell, don't invest in a business before doing research on it. Uh, so this is stocks no longer on my radar presented by EQBank. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll add one. I mean, I don't have too much to say. I wasn't familiar with the company, but yeah, SPACs, I mean, there were some pretty famous ones. There's still the DWAC one, the one for yep. Trump media. The Trump one. Yeah. The Trump one. That one went, I think, pretty high. Now it's around $15. All the uh, math SPACs too. Those yeah. are all nightmares. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, it's just, I think there's less... Um, is it me or I think there is less heightened regulatory compliance required, right? I think that was one of the reasons. It's cost like effective. Um, they don't have to go through like a whole prospectus and I think yep. it's more, yeah. Like I, I could be super wrong on this, but I think there's like different S1 requirements for the yeah. business that they're acquiring, right? Because you're going public. Because you're already public. As a shell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're going as a shell. And so I'm no lawyer and I don't work for the SEC yeah. or anything like that. But th you're on the right track. That's basically. And, and they were such a sign of the times of it is so easy to raise money right now when the, you know, SPACs were all the rage 2021. 20, Rates are zero. So easy to raise money. People are going so far out the risk, risk spectrum. And. And a lot of companies were down to go public. So they were a, a huge sign of the times. Most of them have been disasters. I would say like, you know, over over 80% of them have been disasters in terms of being down also 80%. Yeah. So, well, I, I think yeah. an issue is people, you know, they would get a big pop going public. Um, just yeah. back, not even the acquisition. And then people would get all hyped up, buy it instead, you know, the value is $10 a share, then they would buy it at 60, 70, and then just on the hype, and then things don't pan out and it starts trading at around the, the $10. And, you know, people end up losing 60, 70, 80, 90% of their money. Yeah. As soon as it was announced that they were going to take Selena as the like the takeout target or whatever. The stock jumped all the way to forty dollars US, forty-one almost, and no, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's now two dollars and fifty-six yeah. cents. So uh, you can you can you can fill in the gaps there. 
Okay, so now I'll move on to an actual stock on my list. Uh, this one I've talked <laughs> about before. Um, I'm going to go oil and gas here with Canadian National Resources, ticker CNQ. I know I've talked about this one before a little bit. Um, still haven't pulled the trigger on it. Now, the reason why I'm eyeing CNQ of all the different options in Canada and, of course, the U.S. as well is because it has an amazing track record and they also have a low uh, break-even cost when it comes to the West Texas Intermediate. Their break-even cost is in their mid $30 per barrel. So let's just say for, you know, for the podcast, it's $35. So the break-even cost would cover base maintenance, capital requirements, and dividend commitments. So it's pretty unlikely that the price of oil gets to that level, but it's good to know that you know, they're sustainable, even if it does go to that level. Now, when most of the oil and gas companies were cutting their dividends during the early days of the pandemic, CNQ did not cut its dividend. If people remember, or if we have new listeners, we actually saw the future price of oil go negative. So that's because, you know, people who had those uh, contracts did not have enough place to actually store and there was like a lack of demand so they were paying people to actually take those contracts so that's why clearly for those companies not as solid as canadian national resources it created a problem suncor was one of them who actually cut the dividend during that period of time and last year canadian natural resources actually paid a special dividend i think it was around august their dividend currently yields around just 4.5 percent they've also been returning capital to shareholder via buybacks uh, pretty nicely since 2018. The share count uh, is down quite a bit since then. They have a pretty balanced portfolio with operations in North America, the North Sea, and offshore Africa. In 2023, their production was almost evenly distributed between natural gas, heavy oil, synthetic crude, and a small portion to light oil and natural gas liquids. They consistently have a high return on invested capital compared to the rest of the industry, and their assets are long-life assets, meaning that they'll be good for an extended period of time, which can be an issue with those oil and gas play where, you know, the, the easiest way to explain that to people is if you have an oil well, you know, when it's exhausted, it's done, right? You, you can't create oil out of thinner, uh, thin air. Now, the case here is clearly betting on a global recovery over the next five to 10 years. Renewable energy is great. Um, I'm, you know, all for it, but we are not there yet. And in the meantime, we will need companies like Canadian National Resources. And on top of that, most experts I've listened to on the subject, and I've done quite a bit of listening in the past couple of months, actually probably past six months. And there hasn't been, they say they ha there hasn't been enough investment in this space in the past decade, which obviously puts upward pressure on the price of oil and gas prices, especially if demand starts picking up even more and more. The reason for that is the price kind of really dipped in, I think it was around 2014, and a lot of companies got caught with their pants down. If, with a lack of better, better analogy there where they were investing too heavily in unprofitable projects. And then when the price went down, a lot of these companies that $35 price per barrel break even while companies were looking at 70, 80, even more than that. So they were in a situation where they were producing 
and selling it at a loss. So a lot of companies pulled back on investment in the past decade. And now we're in this situation where we're at, where there's been a lack of investment, not only for um, companies uh, in a similar situation as CNQ here, uh, CNQ is not in that case because they have really good assets, but also for refineries. So that could be a, a major issue in the next, I would say, five years. Um, they do not own any refineries, but just to to make a bit more sense of that. So clearly this is a, I think it's a great business for commodity play. It is dependent on the price of commodities. Let's not, you know. Clearly, that will be a big determining factor on the profitability and your returns here. Uh, but I think the medium to longish term, I think the tailwinds should be there for a company like this. And in terms of exit strategy, I'm not sure because I think that would probably be time slash macro slash price dependent. I don't think you can just put a price of oil and then decide to sell then and there, especially if there's still some macro uh, tailwinds with uh, with oil and gas. I think your last caveat paragraph is exactly what keeps me out of these names, but that's not to say that this is not such a brilliantly run company. So actually, I had a meeting with... Um, Oh, shoot, I forget his name. It's okay. Anyways, um, a meeting with a, one of the engineers at CNQ, really bright guy. He lives in Calgary. And I was talking to him. I was like, dude, this guy's so smart. Like CNQ clearly has like really high quality talent. And, and he spoke really highly of, of how they operate the business. And that's always been my interpretation as CNQ. It's just one of the probably, just one of the best run commodity businesses in the world. Um, and so I, I, I definitely stand by that. You spoke about lots of the things that they have going for them, but again, it always comes back for me as an investor around the commodity. Like I'm just not smart enough to predict commodity and macro forces. You know, I, I, I don't even, I, I don't even know what I ate for lunch today, let alone know what the price of oil is going to do in the next five years. So that that keeps me away because I, I just try to be in the places that I can understand. And this just it never really is. No, and I mean, that's a fair point. My view has changed a bit on that where I wasn't really interested in commodities at all. Well, I wouldn't say at all, but I was kind of reluctant. I definitely kind of more in line with you. But the more I read and I listen to experts on the subject, um, you know, I'm not going to have a commodity dominant portfolio. That's not what I'm doing. But I definitely want to um, have some allocation to it, whether, you know, I'm thinking not only oil and gas, has, but maybe commodities as a whole, probably anywhere between five and 10%, uh, just to kind of give a hedge to my portfolio. That's what I, I'm thinking about. So um, CNQ, I mean, I will probably start a position very soon because, uh, yeah, it's just... You know, you look at all the metric, you just, I know yeah. Suncor is not the only one, but you compare it to Suncor and everything's like, everything's higher. <laughs> yeah. And, and if the macro works for this kind of position you will make tons of money on this like it's too cheap it runs it spins out a boatload of cash the assets are solid long duration assets you know we still need what they're making for a long long time it's a slam dunk honestly it really is 
if you get that that part right. And 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 a lot of people who are very bullish on on being right about the macro on on oil names and have been mostly right, uh, I think for the last couple of years. So congrats to you. If that's true, it's 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 a slam dunk. Like you, the amount of cash this thing will spin off the you know the special divs you'll make, the yield along the way, the you know EPS growth over the next five years. I'm all there. I just. I don't know. Like I'm just I'd have no conviction on if that's right or not. And I think this is a perfect example of you just know more about this than me. Um by a long shot and that's okay. Like you've built that conviction. I haven't. And I, I think that that like I'm trying to normalize this if you mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean there's scenarios where it doesn't I mean, I think at the very least um you'll get some growth out of it. I think that's kind of the yeah. bear case, uh, probably not, you know, market beating, but the top case, obviously, you're kind of betting on global growth there. But the biggest thing, right, if global growth kind of stalls for several years, um, then it's probably going to not going to be a market beating stock. That's just the reality of it right there. But if growth just kind of it just picks up the lack of investment, like everything, if growth picks up globally it's going to line up quite nicely for for Canadian natural resources. And the other thing I would look at, and I'm just starting to dig on, and I know there's some bigger players in the U.S. for that, but also having another name in this sector, but that has refineries, because I think that's another area where it's going to be hyper profitable just because of the lack of investment and some of the refineries actually coming to their end of life and not yet replace or not having yet a replacement uh, in the works. Yeah, good point. And just so capex heavy these businesses. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And that's the both the knock on it and the bull case for just being able to like how do you compete with the amount of capex? Like you no know, Stanford brilliant genius grad is coming out and really excited about building the next CNQ. Like no, that that human does not exist today in the world. Uh, I can say with complete confidence, and that, that's kind of the barrier to entry, right? It's like no one's excited about putting up the capex required for these industrials uh, and commodity names. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. I think it was a solid one. Um, and if you have not gone to Stratosphere, I, I really would appreciate you check it out. Stratosphere.io is a financial data and analytics company. I spend all, all my waking minutes on uh, making it better and better over time. So go ahead and check that out, stratosphere.io. If you want to join the Essentials Paid Plan or Professional Paid Plan, uh, Essentials take 15% off with code TCI. And if you want to get on the Pro Plan and, and hit me up directly, just hit that contact form and I'll, I'll, I'll get you set up. Simone, um, how, how just, how's, how's life, man? Like I am so confused about being back home in Canada. Like it, it's, it's, it's warm here. I thought it was going to be freezing. I don't know what it's like in in uh, in Ottawa. It's freezing. <laughs> it's freezing. <laughs> okay. It's freezing and snowing. It was warm for a week and a half, and then we got a preview of what uh, spring would be like, and now it's like winter's back with a vengeance for what looks like the next couple of weeks. But, you know, mentally, once I get to March, it's always like, okay, the harshest months are behind me. And I'm yeah. just, you know, I'm just looking at uh, forward at the nice weather. So, yeah, just uh, powering through for another few weeks. Yeah, 
so okay so it's i mean i'm not surprised it's ottawa <laughs> so that's well, it's just you, four you, hours away <laughs> you know what you're in for yeah but yeah. and like for us for instance um you know on the real estate podcast they've been working with that snowblower company troy built and i'm getting the emails and they're like guys we'd love to make the content for you but there's just no snow and I, I kept seeing these emails come through for the past like month and a half and i'm like why is there no snow here anyways um just completely out of the loop because my parents, but, you know, live in Florida and stuff. So yeah, the probably the last thing I'll say on that, just to tell you how warm it has been, even here. Um, this will be—I don't know if it's the first year ever, but one of the only years, if it's not, where the Rideau Canal will not open for skating this year. Damn. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Just because so we it had- hasn't opened. What? Yeah, I know. Because the one thing that I always, always like hesitant. Like I don't want to leave. Like I don't want to leave during the winter because I love some of these snow sports and I love playing outdoor hockey with my buddies on weeknights and stuff like that. Having a, you know, having a beer and playing hockey, dude, th- those rinks have just been slush. Like they're not open. Yeah. Yeah. And the Rideau Canal, I mean, I think Beaver Tales officially said that they're not opening, even if they open the Rideau Canal, it's at this point. And we've had really cold days, but it was only for like, you know, it's not sustained. A, less than a week. And then we get rain and warm weather. So it's been all over the place, but right now, it's cold, but it's towards the end of the season, so I don't even know if they'll go ahead and open it, which is kind of one of the nicest things of Ottawa is being able to go on the Rideau Canal and skate, and then you have Winter Lude where there's tons of activities, and that actually just finished yesterday. So uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> I got to come visit you. I've never, I mean, well, not clearly not this year. I've never skated on the Rideau Canal, and I, I think that would be a good, I think that would be like one of those touristy things that's super not overrated, like super underrated, because that's like pretty sick to be able to skate on the Rideau Canal. I can skate, but uh, stopping is a challenge, <laughs> so I kind of go in circles. And now that I'm older, oh, I'll probably put like underneath my pants so people don't see them. I have like mountain bike, very slim knee pads. So I'm definitely going to put those in case I fall and I don't want to break anything. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. Well, I'll leave you in the dust back there. I'll, uh, the only thing I'm going to have maybe in my, uh, in my pants is a couple of those little fireball packets. Those, oh, those things are electric oh, yeah. on, on out there. Thanks for listening to the pod guys. We really appreciate you. We are here Mondays and Thursdays, uh, like clockwork. The show goes on Mondays, Thursdays, tune in, give the show a rating, share it with a friend. Head to jointci.com. That is our Patreon page where Simone talks about not only this retirement portfolio, but also um, our own real money portfolios that we update every single month. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.